Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, November 4th, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 11, A Vision for You, on page 154, the second paragraph beginning with One Dismal Afternoon. Today's readers are, reading the OA 12 Steps is Sarah W., reading the OA 12 Traditions is Rose, and reading the literature are Chelsea, Judy B., Sylvia, and Sally. The reference number for Sunday, November 3rd, is 5391. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sarah W. to read the OA 12 Steps. Good morning, Vision. My name is Sarah W. from Iowa. Here are the steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, they direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs past. Thank you, Sarah W. I will now ask Rose to read the OA 12 Traditions. Thank you, Rebecca. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other OA groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Rose. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, We resume our study of the big book in Chapter 11, A Vision for You. On page 154, 
the second paragraph beginning with one dismal afternoon. I will ask Chelsea to begin by reading this paragraph and the following one. It will be that second paragraph beginning with, of course, he couldn't drink, that we will be focusing our sharing on. Go ahead, Chelsea. Good morning, Rebecca. Thanks for your service. This is Chelsea, recovered today in South Jersey. One dismal afternoon, he paced the hotel lobby, wondering how his bill was to be paid. At the end of the room stood a glass-covered directory of local churches. Down the lobby, a door opened into an attractive bar. He could see the gay crowd inside. In there, he would find companionship and release. Unless he took some drinks, he might not have the courage to scrape an acquaintance and would have a lonely weekend. Of course, he couldn't drink, but why not sit, hopefully at a table, a bottle of ginger ale before him? After all, had he not been sober six months now? Perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. Fear gripped him. He was on thin ice. Again, it was the old, insidious insanity, that first drink. With a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. Music and gay chatter still floated to him from the bar. I'm still Chelsea. I'm still a compulsive overeater, but I'm recovered today from my mind tricking me into thinking that it's okay to go to the food when I'm restless, irritable, and discontented. This um, about, of course, he couldn't drink reinforces for me that I only get one day at a time reprieve from this disease as long as I'm spiritually fit. And I look uh, back to on um, page 89 in the beginning of uh, chapter 7 where it says nothing will so much as ensure our immunity as working with others. And that's my mission. And here it seems as though um, Bill was sober for, what, six months. And I know a lot of times for myself when I wasn't doing the big book way, I could string together a couple of weeks, I could string together a couple of months, but before you know it, my mind was telling me again that it was okay to go back to the food the moment any kind of life came my way. So unlike Bob here, I mean Bill here, who was able to shiver, because he's recovered, he's recovered already, so he was able to shiver and see how dangerous, what a dangerous area he was in by not working with someone else. So he went down to this lobby to this, to look at the directory to find something or somebody. He had to tell his story at some point because this is the way we could keep what we have is by giving it away. And on um, uh, the mission, our mission, for me, my mission, when it says, on, I think it was on page 53, yeah, we read it, then you will know what it means to give yourself, give of yourself, that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. That's my main mission now. That's my main mission. And I need to be able to know when I'm restless, irritable, or discontented, I need to pray as I understand the power greater than myself, my divine director for knowledge and power. Pause. Take that pause. And I do that frequently throughout the day. Throughout the day, I'll pause. Because I'll ask, what is the right next thought that I should have, Dee Dee? What's the right next thought, the right next action? Many times throughout the day I do this, and I try to uh, always ask that my divine director's will be done and not mine. And usually it leads me to getting outside of self, getting outside of being 
uh, self-centered, selfish, as it says on page 62, my spiritual malady that I have, the antidote is working with others, and I become other-centered. The more others-centered I am, there's no room for self to come in, and my spiritual malady remains in check. I develop an immunity, a vaccination of sorts, if you will. Every time I work with somebody else, I get another shot in the arm, so to speak. And uh, with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Chelsea. Who else would like to share on what was read? Barbara? Leah. Barbara and then Leah. Thank you. This is Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater. Well, I love looking at this incident, and in terms of looking at what the big book tells me about myself, uh, when Bill describes this insidious insanity, I can walk through it exactly, and those of you who are close to my recovery have heard me tell this story. I sometimes get sick of saying it myself, but I I don't want to because it's such a great reminder. Um, I can remember an incident in my own recovery where as I look at Bill, I put myself right in that hotel lobby, only where I put myself is at a lovely restaurant on Martha's Vineyard. Many years ago, I was on vacation with my family, and I took myself out. I was in recovery. I had lost 100 pounds in that year. I had done my fourth step. I thought, wow, I am abstinent. I am recovered. Well, the insidious insanity came back that day as I sat and had an abstinent lunch in this restaurant, getting away from four children. Good thing. And then I looked over at a table, and there was this very slim woman picking at a dessert and eating part of it and leaving it and walking away. And I thought, like Bill, you know, he's been sober six months. I've lost 100 pounds in this past year. I've done the inventories. You know, I can probably order what she had and maybe even leave some of it. I mean, as he says, you know, get a ginger ale, sit there. It was a sunny afternoon. I'm going to be there with these other normal people, not compulsive readers, not food addicts, not obsessed in the mind and allergic in the body. But I began to talk myself into that. I'm going to do that. I'll be able to do that. And then I'll walk out the way she did. Maybe I'll even leave some of it on the plate. Well, the difference between Bill and his action and mine is that I listened to the voice of that insanity. I listened to the disease. And I tried to, as it says, you know, in the book, eat like a lady. And that was the first bite that began a binge that sent me across the entire island of Martha's Vineyard from place to place. The phenomenon of craving set in. And I was so loaded with sugar, I had to be carted in an ambulance off the island to a center to recover from that setback. It was ferocious. And I say it again today, and I look at it again because I don't want to forget it, because there's nothing harmless about that first bite and of giving into the thinking, the crazy, crazy, insidious insanity. So I'm very glad to get this reminder of what to do and what not to do. I could have crossed the street. There was at that time, because it was many years ago, public phone booths on the buildings. I could have crossed the street, as I had many times, and made a phone call. I believed the disease. 
Um, and I don't want to forget it because I don't want to go back there and I don't want to listen to it today. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara. Leah? Thank you so much, Rebecca. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. Fear gripped him. He was on thin ice. Again, it was the old insidious insanity, that first drink. With a shiver, he turned away and walked down the lobby to the church directory. Um, You know, Bill is recovered at this point, and... um, you know, that insidious insanity, the first drink, this teaches me a lot in this paragraph. First of all, it's the first drink um, that does it. Um, But Bill is sober here, and that's exactly what insanity is all about. Insanity for people like you and us, you and I, um, is when we are sober, You know what I mean? The insanity appears in the conscious, sober mind of the alcoholic who drinks. It's not something that occurs um, once you have ten drinks down your gullet and you're slurring your words and dancing on the table. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Anybody um, has some effect from ingesting alcohol. The real insanity for people like you and I is the decision to take that first drink in the first place. That's the true insanity. Insanity means that your mind is less than whole, that you can't always see the truth, or if you see it, you can't always act on it. You're, you're foolish. You're not mentally sound. However, look what happens. Yes, he's tempted. Yes, there's the socialization and the chatter going on in that bar room, low lights and tinkling of glasses, of course, yes. But he is recovered, and the big book teaches, if tempted, we recoil as if from a hot flame. And that's exactly what happens with Bill, because it goes on to say, with a shiver, he turned away. See, now he has been given a connection with a higher power. He has an opportunity not to listen to the disease that's perhaps whispering in his ear, delivering to him the option of picking up. He is restored to sanity. He has restoration of mind. He has a sound mind. That means he has the ability to see the truth. And the truth is he's an alcoholic. And the truth is he has an allergy of the body that when he ingests a particular substance such as alcohol, it triggers a phenomenon of craving. He can see that truth about himself. And therefore he makes a decision based on that truth with a shiver, With recoiling as if from a hot flame, he turns away, walks down the lobby to the church directory, and you know what he does? He begins to pursue a drunk so that he can tell his story in the same way he used to pursue a drink. Bill didn't really pick up that church phone over uh, to uh, get Dr. Bob sober, although that's indeed what happened. Bill Wilson picked up that phone in that church directory uh, to keep Bill Wilson from getting drunk. And so this is an example of being restored to sanity. He has been given a choice. It's different than when he was insane. He's now been given a choice 
to recoil as if from a hot flame. So realizing that in carrying a message of recovery to another alcoholic, he'd managed to stay sober himself, he's going to set out. And you know what? He had to practice some perseverance and some persistence and some tenacity because it took over 10 phone calls to make that appointment with Dr. Bob. But he was pursuing his recovery process. Instead of pursuing disease, he's now recovered, acting as an agent of his higher power. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Eileen? Thank you, Leah. Eileen, go right ahead. Thank you. This is Eileen, food addict in recovery. Um, You know, once you get abstinent, it's not a given that you're never going to eat again. Uh, those feelings, such as fear, um, for me anyway, are always, not always, but they're in play. And uh, the fear and the self-centeredness, I was listening yesterday to a vision for you when we were talking about step three. You know, you've got to make your, your mind up to just, surrender and turn your life over to God and not control it, that's when my fear comes into play. Um, He was on thin ice. Again, it was the old insidious insanity, that first drink. And certainly I I get uh, food thoughts now and again. And it's when I let my feelings overcome me and I don't put step three into place and I don't put God in the forefront of my mind and of my life. God, please help me give up control. Let you take the ball, not me, as I've done time and time again. And where have I ended up when I do that? I hurt myself in some way, and it could be with the food. Um, I'm, I'm coming up to four years abstinent again after having a month relapse. I never want to go through that again, and I, I, I'm glad that I went through a relapse because after five years of being abstinent, um, I know what it's like. I know that that insidiousness, of the disease and the disease way of thinking comes right into play again. So um, for today, uh, I'm grateful to have this fellowship, to have this meeting, and uh, to have all of you listen to me very patiently. Thanks. I'll pass. Hello. Good morning. This is Bella. Can I share? Bella, someone said hello before you. Let's see who that is. Okay, Hi, this is this is Cindy. Cindy and then Bella. Go ahead. Cindy. Hi, I'm new to this vision for you, but I have to share what an amazing coincidence that this Saturday at my morning meeting we're reading the same exact story, and I just wanted to share a little bit. What happened to me um, last night, um, I've been doing very well with my OA program, and I'm so proud of myself. But last night I was very, very tired. 
and I got into bed with this healthy food snack, but it was in a container that was, um, you know, I should have measured a little bit and taken it in my room because I was so tired, but I didn't. My disease talked to me, and I took the whole container, and it was a miracle. What happened was I fell asleep holding this big container of a snack food that I'm allowed to have, and the whole container spilled and fell in my bed. And I thought, oh, my God, this is really like a blessing because I shouldn't have been doing what I was doing. And um, so I had to get up and clean my whole bed and change my sheets. And I was so disgusted. But I thought, you know, that's a miracle that that happened because those behaviors will lead me back to binge eating. And I can't be eating from a container, even a healthy snack. And, um, you know, I'm very new to the vision for you. Um, I hope this story applies, a short story, but I've been listening and um, a lot of people called me. I really needed a sponsor. I'm brand new and um, I just love listening and I want to thank everybody for being there and um, at the end, I'll leave my number again. I love talking to you um, women and um, thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Cindy. Bella? Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recover compulsive overeater. Thank you, Rebecca, for leading this me- uh, this meeting, and thank you, everybody that is on the line. I really love this paragraph. It's a paragraph that builds uh, our strength, and it reminds us what is all about this program. There is no graduation for this program, and there is no graduating for life. You know, when we graduate life, it means that our life is over. And in our life, we don't graduate from this program. This program is how to live the life. Yes, I got as a gift from God to be a, a compulsive overeater. It means that I have an allergy in the body and an obsession in the mind. And I will always have this one dismal afternoon. I will always have the chance to go to the food, to think about the food, and to think that the food is my solution. Thank God, thank God, it's a miracle that I am in the program and I have now the tools to remind myself what is really my my disease. And for me, when I have this obsession in the mind, is like a traffic light, a red light. Bella, pose. You have now this obsession in the mind. How is your connection with God? Because when I am into the thinking of the food, it means that I am again in the self-center. It means that I took again the power on myself and I can do it, I can control it, I can survive it, I can eat like everybody else, and this is our disease, the me and I. And when I am connected to God, and I know, Bella, you are now connected to God, listen to God, Yes, now you are in a restaurant, now you smell the food, now you are going through restaurant on the street. What is 
God's voice is telling you what you think God wants from you. Bella, remember what this food will bring you to. And this is my strength that I know, yes, my purpose in life is to build my connection to God, to remind myself again and again, I don't have the power. I am not in control. I have one power. I have the power to choose, to make better choices. And it's all about one day at a time. Today and now I am choosing to be connected to God, to listen to God's voice and not to my, to my voice because my voice was till it was a failure. I want to listen to God's voice, to be led by God. And by this I will pass. Thank you for letting me share. And I pass. Thank you, Bella. Did anyone else want to share? Penny E? Hi, Penny E. Go right ahead. Good morning. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Penny E. Recovered in South Jersey. This is such a important part of the book. Um, here is the point where so many of us have been, you know, that uh, this is the reason that we can't stay stopped. How many of us have been able to put down the food, put down the food, a million times put down the food, but always to pick up again because that insanity, the insidious insanity, the obsession of the mind that says, I can do this. I can get back on track. I can sit at the bar and drink a little ginger ale. You know, maybe even a few little drinks after all I've been abstinent for six months. This is the this is the point that separates those who are recovered and those who have never been recovered. This is the point. So how do we turn how do we turn away from the bar? How do we turn away from the bar and go in and make a phone call and find somebody we can help? How do I turn away from the Dunkin' Donuts? And you know, make a call, you know, and let somebody know that I'm feeling fearful or whatever. Well, the answer to that is what we've been reading day after day, week after week, and that is the spiritual connection to a higher power. Bill has written many times in this book constantly. We live this, work it constantly in all our affairs, all the time. The only thing that is going to separate me from that first bite when the insidious insanity comes in is God. It's in the big book somewhere. I don't know what page, but it says there will come a time when the only thing that's going to get between me and that first bite is a power greater than myself. And I can't dig it up if it's not right there with me. You know, For that reason, I, I work this program as if my life depended the best I can, 24-7. There's not a day that goes by that I walk out of my bedroom where I haven't done prayer and meditation. There's not a day. You know, there's not a day when I don't do a 10-step at least one time. Uh, I have an ulterior motive today. If that insidious insanity comes, I want to be ready. I want to have my armor on. I want to I be there with God to say, no, I'm turning away. I'm going to go make a phone call. And I'm very grateful for that. So I love you all. Have a God-filled day. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Penny. This is Rochelle. I could share. 
Hi, Rochelle. Rochelle and then Katie. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, I'm sitting here. I'm not looking at my book, but I'm, I'm working at the computer. Last night I was so frustrated because no matter what I tried to do on this program, it didn't work, and I was feeling isolated. I'm saying to myself, oh, no, what am I going to do? And it was, woe is me. And it was, uh, I sent an email to somebody, and I said, I, no matter what I do, I can't, I can't lick this, you know. And, and I got an email back, well, why don't you go online and go for help, and, and maybe other people have had this problem, and then you'll be able to find a solution. Okay, so I went to bed with that last night. I just turned it over and then <sighs> was able to sleep. And this morning I've been up early trying to work out this problem. I found the solution online. I wrote down their recipe. I followed the steps. And you know what? It works. So what's the application? It's program. You know, I, I can I can sit and I can isolate and I can feel, what was me, what was me? I can't do anything about this. But then when I ask other for, others for help, when I turn this over to my higher power and I reach out to others and I say, this is my problem, I can't do anything about it by myself, I let in help. I let in the sunlight. And all of a sudden there are answers out there because I'm not in isolation. Other people have the exact same problem and they help me. And all I have to do is follow those steps and then I get to the solution and I'm connected again. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Rochelle. Katie? This is Katie. Good morning. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, and this, uh, perhaps he could handle, say, three drinks, no more. Fear gripped him. And, you know, before I got abstinent, fear didn't grip me. I, I didn't think. I didn't have that ability to pause and remember what it was like uh, to pick up that first bite. I just did it. That impulse was so insidious that I couldn't stop and, and take a breath and, be, and recoil as if from a hot flame because I, it was so fast. It was so fast because um, I, didn't, I didn't think it through. And it's not as if I got smart overnight. It is the work of my higher power that that flood of memory of what it was like the last time I picked up the food. And it was a very long time ago that I did that. And I'm telling you, I can remember it like it was yesterday. And yet, when I would have a few weeks of abstinence, or I would have just lost, you know, 20 or 30 pounds on my most recent diet, I wouldn't have that ability to remember what it was like. I did not remember. And, you know, that ability to remember and to have fear grip me if I get an insane thought of eating, you know, my children's uh, Halloween candy or, you know, tasting what I just baked for my family, you know, I'm immediately back um, in the place where I was when I had my last binge. And that did not end well. It did not end at all. It went on and on and on and on. And so it doesn't, you know, he, he's realizing here that just sitting in a bar around a group of people um, is not always a good idea. You know, he had done this in, in the previous months, but obviously he must have known someone at those places where he went. But just going into a room full of strangers, no, that is not always a good idea. And you know, he had the, 
his higher power carried him at that moment. And, you know, my higher power has carried me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times out of the harm's way of following my uh, rabbit trail thought of maybe this time it won't burn me. Let's see how. Um, you know, the ability to pause is the difference for me between recovery and relapse and with that I'll pass. Thank you, Bonnie. Go ahead, Bonnie. Hi, this is Melanie, recovered compulsive oh, overeater. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. I've been listening to these fantastic shows. Um, you see that there's a picture being um, created here about a particular situation that I would find myself in that would give me all these reasons that I would typically pick up. And and then the, the subsequent result of that indicating that there is um, a shift and a change in the way Bill would normally react to this situation like this when he was in the booze. So, um, and I've heard a lot of words around I'm recovered or this is recovery. And I thought, you know, I hadn't heard something specific and I have a pretty simple mind. What does recovered mean? What does recovery mean? Why is it he is able to shiver and be in this situation? Why is he still there? What does it feel like to be in that thought? And what came to me, the part that I didn't quite hear today, is that what does recovered mean? Bill has worked through step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Therefore, having a psychic change sufficient enough to bring about recovery, which means he doesn't pick up, he won't pick up. We have a bunch of promises um, after all of those things have happened. It says, I will not. I will not pick up based on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then living in 10, 11, and 12, which this shows that he is. And I love that. So he has put down the food. He worked through the steps. He's recovered. And so then life goes on. Tragic things happen, even situations such as this that make me come into a situation that I have always in my past. I shiver. And then something within shifts me, changes me, and I walk away. That's the power greater than myself that's evident here. And without a pass. Thank you, Melanie. This is Rebecca, and I'd like to share on what was read. And what comes to mind for me is the sentence, he was on thin ice. Yes, Bill was recovered. Yes, I am recovered. I've done what Melanie just said and continue to practice 10, 11, and 12. But, you know, um, that doesn't mean we can't be on shaky ground at times when our um, when things aren't going right. And so in Bill's case, um, if we look at page 102, you know, I often bring people to these pages 100 to 102 when they're thinking about going somewhere where their binge foods are going to be served. And are they on fit? Are they in fit spiritual condition? And are they on solid spiritual ground? It turns out, yes, Bill was on solid spiritual ground because he realized on page 102 that if he was shaky, he had better work with another alcoholic instead. Uh, he didn't have a good reason for going into the bar to help someone else to see what he could bring 
to going into that bar. He was thinking of what he could get. And we don't go to places where our binge food is served to get something for ourselves. Once we're recovered, we know better than that. If we're not going to bring something to offer to others, to enhance their experience, to do for others, we don't belong there. And Bill didn't belong in that bar. And by the grace of God and his recovered state, he was able to recognize that he was on shaky ground and had no good business for being there and that he had better work with another alcoholic instead. And with that, I'll pass. And I'm going to suggest we move on. I know this is so rich, but um, why don't we try to get to the next paragraph with Judy B. Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you very much for your service. So grateful that everybody's here on this meeting. This is Judy B., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. But what about his responsibilities, his family, and the men who would die because they would not know how to get well? Ah, yes, those are the alcoholics. There must be many such in this town. He would phone a clergyman. His sanity returned, and he thanked God. Selecting a church at random from the directory, he stepped into a booth and lifted the receiver. Absolutely. What a message. I mean, here Bill has gone through the steps, and yet he's feeling that he's on shaky ground. But thank God he has the ability to make a choice. It's not like before when he didn't have a choice. He has the ability to make a choice. He has the ability to be aware at this moment. And he thinks about his responsibilities. Something I could not do when I was into the food. And what about his responsibilities, his family, and the men who would die because they would not know how to get well? I, I just heard uh, not long ago about a very good friend in program who died with this disease. And it has just, it has just um, prompted me to work this program even harder because I know that there are so many out there suffering and and if they don't get this message, you know, it's lost. It's just, it's so sad. I'm just so grateful that, that I understand my responsibility now. I have been given a great gift. And it is my responsibility to pass this message on. You know, I cannot determine who... who who hears it and who doesn't, but it's my responsibility to pass the message on. And as they said, he thanked God for this. I mean, his sanity returned. I am just so grateful, so grateful that I can thank God moment by moment that I have this. I have this this reprieve. I have this recovery, 
and I want others to have it too. It's just so important, and I am so grateful, so grateful that Bill had this moment, that he had this moment, because had he not, you know, we would not be where we are at today. You know, we wouldn't have this wonderful book and and this wonderful fellowship and, and the knowledge of this of this program and the instructions on how to how to go through this, just uh, such a, a beautiful message. And um, it, the word responsibility just keeps coming coming back at me. And um, it it shouldn't be scary that we have this responsibility. It should be. It, it, it is. It's a gift. It's a gift. And um, how blessed we are that we can share it with others. I mean. That is actually, you know, the most important part of my life, that I can share this with others, that my life has a purpose. And uh, this, this Vision for You meeting in the morning has certainly made it um, much easier to, uh, to work with people and to let them go to um, the website and to use all the resources there. It's just, it's such a gift. Uh, I thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judy B. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Hi, this Helena is Helena. Helena. Mm-hmm. Some I heard a voice before Helena. It, it's Nicole. Okay, Nicole. And I think I heard a voice after Helena. And Rose. And Rose. So we'll say Nicole first, then it's Helena. Anna Rose, yeah. Anna Rose, I beg yeah. your pardon. Thank okay. you. Sure. Nicole? Hi, my name's Nicole. I'm a recovered compulsive operator from Colorado, and um, I just love these two paragraphs. And I like how um, for for Bill, it, it just um, had, he had two choices. He could either um, go and drink or he could help somebody. And... Um, he, uh, I, I like that, that it is a choice here, and I know when I have food thoughts creep up that, that I, too, have a choice. And I just have been thinking, too, how um, how much more difficult it was back then. He was in a payphone booth. All I have to do is pick up my cell phone, and I have a list in front of me of hundreds of people that I can call. And um, he still, you know, made that choice that um, he was going to help somebody, and I know for me, I I need that reminder, and I need to remember that um, the only way out of myself and out of my head is by helping somebody. And um, I, uh, you know, I, I liked what he says about our responsibility too. And um, uh, a little over five years ago, before I I found recovery, um, I had my um, my last binge, and and um, you know, I hope and pray it's my last one. But I know I need to do this one day at a time. But I uh, binged and purged in front of my one-year-old son at the time, and he saw me. And um, that memory is, um, you know, seared in my mind. That, and if I'm not in recovery, I'm of no good to my son, my family, and I have a responsibility to be a, you know, be a mommy to him. And you know, I also have a responsibility to carry the message. And if I'm not in recovery, I, I can't carry that message. And so it is my responsibility to, to stay in recovery so that I can help those who um, who still need to recover. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nicole. Helena? 
Hi, this is Helena in South Jersey. I also appreciated uh, the responsibilities are both to the family and to the still-suffering compulsive overeater. We're told in working with others that we don't uh, help someone else at the expense of our family. And if we take someone into our home, it says be sure that they are welcome and that they don't get money that we should be giving to our family. So I also need to balance that, and it is so true. I remember over and over that this is not a disease of isolation, as I told myself. I was not just hurting myself. I was hurting those who love me, those around me, those that I work with, my patients at work, um, everything. Um, I am really thrilled that the discussion earlier focused on we are helping others to save our own lives. Yes, there are so many who are dying, and some of them will rise to their feet because of the message that we have to offer through the big book. But that we cannot pick and choose who it is. As Leah pointed out, um, there were many phone calls before Dr. Bob was found. And I'm just reminded again of my favorite story in the back of the book, Our Southern Friend. And this is so important to me. I'm going to read page 216, two paragraphs. Gentleman has recovered. He has come back from the hospital. He has had the fellowship experience. He's working the steps. I'm home again. I have lost the fellowship. Those who understand me are far away. The same old problems and worries still surround me. Members of my family annoy me. Nothing seems to be working out right. I am blue and unhappy. Maybe a drink. I put on my hat and dash off in the car. Getting to the lives of other people is one thing the fellows in New York had said. I go to see a man I had been asked to visit and tell him my story. I feel much better. I have forgotten about a drink. So simply telling my story, telling I'm going to tell you the hope, the recovery that I have. It doesn't say that this man was now saved. You know, in fact, over on 217 it says, I begin to play God. I, can f- I feel I can fix them all. These are the people he is sponsoring. I do not fix anyone, but I am getting part of a tremendous education, and I have made some new friends. Much more humble and simple. We are reaching out because if we do not, we will go back into our disease. We are looking to help others because if we do not, our families will suffer when we go back into our disease. And there's plenty more that I could say, but... I think my time's over. Thank you. Thank you, Helena. Anna Rose? Hi. Um, this is my first time. I'm call- this is Anna Rose from Massachusetts, and one of you lovely ladies uh, introduced me to this phone conference. <clears throat> this is my first time. I'm not going to say much. Just to say thank you th- to- for you being there. I am not in recovery Uh, but I do want to listen today, and I do want to check in so that I'm not isolating. Thank you so much. That's all I have to say. I'll pass. Thank you, Anna Rose. Keep coming. Thank you. Would anyone else like to share before we have to wrap up soon? This is Penny C. Hi, Penny C. Go right ahead. Hi. Just, just, um, yeah, Penny C. recovered compulsive overeating eater in Massachusetts, I'm feeling, as I listened this morning, the hope of this program, not only this program, but more specifically, the hope of this meeting, 
a vision for you, the vision that the first 100 pioneers in AA had for all of us who would pick up this book, that we would become recovered and that we would would be able to face temptation with turning to a higher power and, and turning to helping others. And, you know, for anybody who's new to this meeting, every single morning, Monday through Friday, you know, we, we come together and we share the hope that so many, so many of us talk about and live the program in recovered in a recovered state of mind and body. And and we do just what these pages are saying. We fulfill the vision that Bill and the other pioneers had for us. And we hear it. How many people just, just on one meeting do I hear say I am recovered? And what recovered means is that we've been able to do just what this this stories these last few paragraphs are talking about so we're real this isn't just this isn't just this book is not you know a fictitious novel this is a book about real people real people like us those of us who come to these lines and say we are recovered and it's just there's so much hope so you know, I, I I remember reading this when I when years ago when I was new in recovery, and I thought, oh, yeah, you know, this is, sounds really nice, but how long is this going to last? Well, it's lasted for decades for many many of us. So um, you know, just hang on to that hope and and into a higher power, and and we cannot fail to recover. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny C. Would someone else like to share on what was read? Sure. Could you repeat your name? Philomena. Hi, Philomena. Go, Hi. go ahead. Uh, yes, uh, my name is Philomena, compulsive uh, reader in recovery, recovered today. Um, I'd like to just share on um, where it says God selecting a church at random. And um, not only did God select a church for me at random, but he he is I am following his uh, journey, and that brought me to the vision for you in the big book. Um, and I believe in this big book. I conceive this big book. I take the steps to achieve it, and then leave the rest to God and prepare to receive the promises and the miracles. And that's what's happening in my life. And I'm just so grateful. And I just want to say to the newcomers, you're in the right place. You're in the big book. And you you will find your spiritual connection. God will lead you. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Philomena. We have time for one more share, if anyone would like to. Hi, it's Michael. May I share? Michael, yes. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for your service. And you know, I from someone who for me would brag about years ago being agnostic or atheist, I'm so far from that, uh, and I just said, you know, I like to pray, which is, for me, opposite to what I used to be, and I was asking the higher power, I said, I just need some, something a little different or stronger, I'm not, I'm not sure what the words I use, but I don't really, I don't believe I have to use specific words, 
I just needed some additional strength. And one of my friends uh, who is very, very much into the big book was concerned about something, and she called me and told me about this meeting. And uh, absolutely blown away for me and such a beautiful, wonderful, exciting, strong, strong, such strength for me. Um, I know I've been in 12-step actually most of my life and in uh, multiple programs, but hearing what I've been hearing every morning has just given me, I guess it would be like me to a transfusion. I just have a different, one more push of strength that doesn't negate any of the other issues or programs, the 12-step programs that I'm in, but this is something that just gave me the little push of strength and hope. Uh, remembering how much I love Bill Wilson and uh, how much he did and how much so many people don't know. And for me, this is um, to start my day out or my day off with just a little bit more strength for myself, maybe a little less anxiety, maybe a little more hope, maybe a, a, a fusion, something different. And it's for me, it's just another one of the magic and miracles that my higher power sends me. Uh, always when I feel like I'm in trouble, I talk to my higher power. And I know, if I look, I have to really watch and look to recognize the magic and miracle because sometimes it's like, you know, you go so fast, you can't smell the flowers or the roses when you pass a beautiful garden. And now I take the time to not only look and smell, but actually touch and have become a pretty good gardener in the meantime. So thank you for, for being there. I just, I'm just so privileged to be chosen to listen to all you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you to everyone who has shared. I counted up the people who shared, and there were 18 of us who shared on the line this morning. So beautiful. We will now close with the reading from the big book. On page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer, will Sylvia please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, this is Sylvia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in upstate New York. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Meditation, what you can do each day for the man is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. I pass.